At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey guys, welcome back to the Grant Met Podcast, episode number 53. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing the art of persuasion. To get anything that you want in life, to persuade the masses, to get the job, to create the business, to do the things that you truly want to do and to make a lasting impact on this world, you have to master persuasion. While persuasion is many times a touchy subject, and it's something that people many times look at negatively because they go, oh, well, if he's trying to persuade people to do things, he or she must be manipulative. Maybe they're trying to have ill intentions on someone, or they're trying to force their ways upon other people. But it depends how you look at it. And most importantly, it depends who holds this power. Persuasion has potential power that you can use for either good or for bad. Here, I'm going to break down how to become a master persuader at whatever you do, but most importantly, to utilize it for good and not evil. Persuasion is everything in life. We many times assume that just because you're not in sales or you don't run a business or you're not a sales manager, that you don't need to know how to sell to people. You don't know how need to know how to convince someone to do a certain thing to adopt your vision. Many times we might think, well, you know, Grant, you're good at talking and it's just kind of natural for you, but I'm more of a person that likes to kind of sit behind the scenes, maybe say a little bit less and maybe not be in charge. And I like other people doing that. That's fine. But many times the best persuaders aren't the person that's always in front of the audience or the person that is the most charismatic, but they're the people that move the the different things behind the scenes and cause things to happen. And if you have core beliefs and integrities and things that you want the world to adopt, or even in the smallest sense, you want your church to grow, you want to help more people, you have a foundation or a cause that you're extremely passionate about. How can you move that forward? How can you make it into something that's incredible and something that impacts many people without understanding how to push your goal and your persuasion of what you want to make an impact on the world if you don't know how to do it in the right way? And let's think about this, right? Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, all of those three people utilized persuasion to impact the world and change it forever. Gandhi was able to give independence back to India without even going to war. He did it completely peacefully through persuasion. We have so much potential in the world. And if you want to have that dream life with incredible friends, with incredible partner, husband or wife, with that incredible business or industry and success, you need to master persuasion. So I'm going to break down four steps to become a master at the art of persuasion. And most importantly, when I go through these examples, I tell stories behind it and I really break things down into detail. What I want you to do is start looking and dissecting what we're going through step by step. And I want you to see how can you actually apply this to your life 
And not only that, but what have you been doing great as a persuader? And what have you been causing yourself to push yourself away from becoming a fantastic persuader? Number one, know your audience. Each person, each background, every culture has a different form of communication. This doesn't only have to do with the way that they speak, but in the language that they have, but their body language, their tonality, the speed at which they communicate. The simplest form, if you're an American or if you've seen any type of movie, you know there's a really big difference between people that typically live in the East Coast in cities like Boston, New York, and Philadelphia compared to people that maybe live in Alabama or Mississippi or southern parts of Texas. Me being from Houston, Texas, you know, I'm born and raised Southern gentleman, and I'm always trained to say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, look people in the eyes, be really courteous. And many times you assume that if you're from the South, they're suddenly nicer than people in the East Coast. Well, I got to test this out because as you guys know, many of my story is I played college football in Brooklyn, New York for two years. So I had a complete polar opposite life from what I was used to growing up being growing up in South Texas and being obsessed with football and using yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and all those different things. And many times you assume, oh, people are nicer here. Well, what you find out quickly is while people in the East Coast are more brash and upfront, wouldn't it be a little bit nicer if they at least tell you the truth compared to somebody that's maybe dancing around and just telling you what you want to hear? And what I learned quickly within my first two weeks is I was used to saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Oh, thank you so much. How's your day going? To people that I didn't even know. And I remember one of the first couple weeks that I was playing football out there, I went to a fast food restaurant and I get in line, I order stuff. And if you know anything about me, I'm obsessed with soda. I love Dr. Pepper. So at any point of the day, I'm always drinking Dr. Pepper. And I get that, I'm eating with a few teammates, whatever the case may be. And I wanted to get a refill. Now, because we're in downtown Brooklyn, they didn't leave an open um, spot to get refills because people would just walk in and take stuff because it's busy city. So it, it's behind the counter. So I get on the side of the line. I go, hey, excuse me. Hey, I hope you're having a good day. Hey, real quick. Can you just get me a refill real quick? I had Dr. Pepper. And she goes, no. I'm like, no. She says, yeah, no, get out of line. I'm like, what? It's like, you can't get refills? She's like, no, we don't do refills. Get out of line. And I was like, I was taken back. I was like, wait, what? And I know I wasn't at a five-star restaurant. I was at probably McDonald's, but I was kind of hurt. I was like, damn, people in New York are rude. And what I didn't understand is that they're not rude. I just didn't understand how to properly communicate with this certain type of person. And the dynamic, the way that they spoke, it was completely different. So after of living in Brooklyn for a couple of weeks and learning the dynamic and learning how people communicate, I ended up going back to the same spot and I wanted to get a refill. This time, I changed completely the way that I was going to speak to her. Now, this isn't a one size fits all, so don't start yelling at everyone, but I just want to give you this example. I'm like, hey, can I get a Dr. Pepper? And she goes, no, we don't do refills. And I was like, it's right there. Just give me a freaking Dr. Pepper. It takes two seconds to do it. No one gives a shit. She's like, where are you from? Like, I'm from Houston. She goes, I like you, Houston. All right, I'm going to get you a Dr. Pepper. I'll get you a refill. One second. She's like, all right, baby, have a good day. I was like, thank you. And I left. I was like, what? This place is crazy. So I snapped at her after she snapped at me. Suddenly, she's like, all right, I'll get you a Dr. Pepper. And she respected me and liked me more. 
So what changed was not me becoming this master persuader. I simply just understood my audience. I understood how this person communicated. And that's so important in life as many times that we think, oh, if, if I act different than who I am, or if my personality is different, then I'm being fake. And that makes me feel weird. Well, if that's the case, do you tell your boss at work or someone that you work with, your employees? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All of your private life and who you're going out with and the drama with your boyfriend or girlfriend? No. Does that make you fake all of a sudden? No, it's just you're at work. Look, I have many different sides and many times people will see me on social media and think I'm just all serious all the time. And that's so far from the truth. I have a goofy side. I have a funny side. I have a serious side. I have a relaxed, calm side. I'm in my family. I have so many different sides. I'm not being fake. I'm just serious right now. I'm talking about something that can help a lot of people. So I'm focused. But there's other times where I'm more relaxed. And so it's important to know is like, who is your audience and how do they effectively communicate and how can you communicate in a way that's going to help their brain properly process the information that you're trying to convey? It's no different that if you know someone's native language, there's just an immediate bond that you automatically have because people trust people and like people who are like them. So if I'm trying to persuade someone or effectively communicate with someone from the East Coast, I'm just a little bit more brash, direct, to the point. I'm not trying to waste time. We get to the point. We can build rapport and relationship later, but look, I'm not wasting time. I know that they don't want to waste their time and let's get to the point. Now, if I'm in Texas or if I'm in somewhere where people are just naturally going to be more chatty, more friendly up front, not on the back end necessarily, they, they definitely can be but they're just the way that they do business and communicates a little bit different. I'm going to be a little bit more relaxed. I'm not going to talk so fast. I'm not going to be on the edge because if I'm talking to a Southern person, like a New Yorker, they're going to go, what does this guy want? This guy's a slick. Why is he so slick? He's trying to get something out of me. If I talk to a New Yorker, like a polite Southern gentleman, then they're going to go, all right, this guy's weak. Like I don't have time for this. Get get out of here. I, I can't talk to you. So you have to know your audience and adjust your tonality to match it. Number two, storytelling. People love a great story. Think about all the heroic things that happen. Think about Michael Jordan. Think about LeBron James. Think about Lance Armstrong when he was winning the Tour de France. Everyone loves a good story. Storytelling and falling in love and going into a story, it pulls people out of their chaotic emotional, and all over the place lives. It basically gives them a break. Think about how much people love a great movie. It basically allows the person, the listener, the customer to put their life on pause and live through the life of someone else. Storytelling can influence a person in a way that any number, product, or benefit could ever do. 
when Apple was reconstructing the way that they did marketing and Steve Jobs took over a company that was six months away from bankruptcy and from going out of business, the first thing that he did is he fired all of the marketing agencies that he was working with. So Steve Jobs, what he did is he studied the way that Nike marketed their business. They'd become the number one sports brand in the world. And it started from them signing Michael Jordan and changing the phrase of the company to just do it. Just do it became a brand, an image in a way that it felt when you utilize their products. You were using the same sports gear, shoes that the best championship athletes in the world ever did. So when you'd see these incredible commercials, they never talked about the details of the shoe the soles, the way it fits on your foot, the way that it gives you an advantage versus this other shoe. In fact, they did the total opposite. They never mentioned anything about the shoes. And what's interesting, if you know anything about running, you know that Nike shoes aren't that good for running. What was interesting is all they did is showed Michael Jordan and other championship level athletes. And then at the end said, just do it. You wanted to be like Michael Jordan. You didn't care what the shoe did, but you knew that Michael Jordan wore that shoe and you wanted to be like him. Nike changed this and they simplified all of their products. They had all this crap and they got rid of all of it and knocked it down to about 10 different simple products. And their first ad, if you guys, I want you to literally YouTube this. It was Apple, think different. And it showed all of these revolutionary people, Nelson Mandela, MLK, Gandhi, all these incredible athletes that chose to think different, go against the grain and make something happen. And then it ended and it said, Apple, think different. And all of a sudden, the momentum and change of the company over the next, obviously, 40 years became a $3 trillion company. And if you look at their brand and the way that they do things now, everything is so simplistic. They utilize the art of storytelling. And you can study the best influencers and persuaders by the way that they communicate. And think of another story of Steve Jobs. When he was first announcing the iPod, back then you would listen to cassette players. And their marketing was a thousand songs in your pocket. And you know that little small, tiny pocket that's in your jeans that no one really knew what was used for? He started off the presentation, and obviously I can't do this as well as Steve Jobs. Go watch it. It's incredible. He said something along the lines of, you know, forever, this small little pocket, it didn't really have any use until now. And he slid out a tiny, small, little uh, iPod uh, Nano, and he pulled it out, and he said, now you have a thousand songs in your pocket, something along the lines of that. And everyone went crazy, and that was nothing that they ever had seen before. And it was the way that he made you feel. It was the story. It was the simplicity of it that captured the audience's attention and made it just, wow, This who is thinking like this? This is completely different than anything they've ever seen before. Tell the story of who you are. Nobody cares how smart you are, how connected you are, how much money you have until they know how much you care. You can think about a lot of the people when it comes to politics, and I don't want to get too into it, but when Michael Bloomberg ran for president, he's a multi-billionaire. He has a 10, 20, 30, $40 billion massive media company. If anyone should be able to win the presidency, it should be him, right? 
Well, he thought if he jumped into the Democratic primaries late, he could have a chance. Next thing you know, he spends hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in a span of about six weeks and could barely get on the debate stage. He was so unauthentic. No one knew his story. All they knew is he was a super rich guy that was trying to buy his way to the presidency and nobody cared. But then if you look at the the presidents who did win, Obama, Trump, you look at Ronald Reagan, you look at JFK, they all had a story. If you look at Obama versus McCain, Obama sold a story, hope. That was his vision. It was simplistic. He told a story of a hope and a future for America. This isn't about Democrat or Republican. He sold a story that created and captivated an audience. Trump, he had a most simple campaign message ever, make America great again. What was Hillary's? We still don't know. Hillary sold facts. Trump sold a story and it worked for him. So when you're selling and you're persuading an audience, you have to think about the storyline. It's not about Democrat or Republican. It's not about how good or bad your product is. It's about the way that it's conveyed to the audience. Three, your tone. Your tonality teaches the customer, the audience, and the listener the way you want them to feel. Have you ever watched a movie that's supposed to be a really sad movie, and then they pause the movie and said, hey guys, real quick, I just want to give you guys a heads up. You should probably be planning on crying in about three to five minutes. No, of course not. That wouldn't even make sense. But what does the story actually do? What happens in the sad movie? The music changes, the tone of the actors, they're crying, something happens, you hear the music adjust, it's intense, it draws you in, and it makes you feel emotions of sadness. The story doesn't tell you to be happy, to be excited. The story plays out in the tone and the feeling and the emotions of the story of the movie changes to create the right emotions in the audience. If you look at this even further, if you've seen any well-made TV show or series, many times they will have you hating a character that you should like or liking a character you should hate, and then they'll flip it in the middle of the series. This has done... This has happened so well that if you've ever seen the Ted Bundy series and he was a serial killer a while back, women were obsessed with him. People were infatuated with him because of the way that he came off, his look, his persona. You should not love a serial killer. Why was this the case? It was because the way that it was portrayed. You have to think about the tonality that you want to feel. And many times, for example, you know, I have a solar company who do tens of millions of revenue and we do business over in 17 states, I teach our sales reps this and I say, look, you can't try to persuade a customer and talk about something that's serious and they need to focus on and fix immediately in a happy, positive, go happy, go lucky tone. You have to say it in a way that creates the emotion and feeling of of worry, of anxiety, of damn, I need to make a change quick. If your tonality doesn't create that feeling in the other listener or person's mind and feelings, then you're not going to create the result that you want. Four, create boundaries and expectations and do it early. Many times people don't do things that we like. They go do this thing or they go say this or they go do something. You go, how could you be so dumb? Why did they do that? 
But did you ever actually agree on an expectation? You can't be mad at someone for doing something you don't want them to do if you never agreed mutually on an expectation between the two parties. Expectations are like the guardrails on a bowling alley. Have you ever seen bowling alleys when you have a kid that has it? Maybe you took your kids there or you've been to some birthday party when you were younger and they put up the guardrails so even if you throw it towards the bunker, it's still going to hit a pin. Expectations are the same way. If you do this early on when you're first meeting or communicating with a person for the first time, not only are they going to be more open to it, but it can save so much time by mutually agreeing to basically the rules of the game that you're going to play. Something as simple as instead of me having to persuade someone to be on time for work every day, or instead of me assuming that, oh, well, they had a lot of experience, so they're going to be on time, simply go, hey, I just want to go through a couple different expectations of what it's like working here just to make sure we're on the same page. Is that cool with you? They go, yeah, of course. Of course, they're going to say yes. They just started working at the company. So I go, hey, so one, we're, we care so much about each person that works here, but professionalism, performing at a high level, and really like doing the simple little things is everything to us here. We know that life happens, but preparation is key. So we ask that one, you're always on time. And let me just give you an example. You know, in Houston, I'm going to give this example, right? Or in Austin or in Atlanta or New York or in London, whatever. There's traffic every single day. There's only not traffic on Christmas and maybe the day or New Year's Day. But besides that, there's going to be traffic every day. So plan 30 minutes ahead of time and get on time early every single day right? We just want to make sure that we're on time, we're prepared. For example, Zoom meetings. We haven't had one sales rep get on Zoom meetings without their camera on ever because that's an expectation for the company. That if you're on the Zoom meeting, you're focused, you're attentive, and you have your Zoom camera on. And if you can't have it on, then you need to take the day off and you should be doing something else. We want our people locked in. No one has ever, not once, complained about this. Why? Because I set an expectation early on. I didn't have to sell them on why that's a benefit. We simply set the expectations early on. And if someone goes, you know, Grant, I hate that. I love having my camera off. I'd go, perfect. Then maybe this isn't a great fit for you. We'll help you somewhere else. But this just isn't a good fit. And I would save all the time in the world. Many times life is way simpler than we can imagine, but we don't set the proper standards and expectations early on. The standards of your life and who you have as a person are the guardrails that prevent bad things from happening. And most importantly, bad people from entering your life. Look, what I've learned is many times, most of the problems come from just literally being around really dumb people or people who are extremely negative and really toxic. If you simply just hang out and surround yourself with really quality people that are going to shape you into a better person, hold you accountable, and believe in your goals, aspirations, and dreams, not only are you going to be happier, not only going to feel better about yourself, but you're going to deal with less bullshit. Life becomes great when you're around really great people. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Make sure to apply all this into your life. And and like I said at the beginning of this, take every part of this and apply it to your life and test it and go, what did I do really great in this instance? What could I have done better? Why did this negative person get in my life and how could I have prevented them or convinced them to go down another path? It's a never-ending cycle and process to master 
the art of communication and persuasion. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. As always, thank you guys so much for the support and love. You've helped this podcast go to six different continents all across the world and become a top 50 podcast all over. And so I can't thank you guys enough. And if you enjoy this podcast, make sure to subscribe and like and leave a review if you can, tell them the experience and how it's helped you. And as always, you can find me on all the social media channels on TikTok, Instagram, uh, YouTube, everything at Grant Mitt. And as always, I will see you guys again for episode 54. Thank you guys. Have a great week.